like that. You Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to like a very joyous, a very happy Black. Logan Blackman up. show here on this beautiful New Year's Day, or not New Year's Day, just in 2023 edition of the Logan Blackman show. It's our first show of 2023, so everybody give yourself a firm round of applause. Good job, everybody. We made it to 2023. And we've had some trials and tribulations so far this 2023, though we are only a week in. We have had some uh, very scary moments so far this year. Hopefully the rest of the year does not look out the same as this has the start of this year has. Though it has been a joyous past couple days, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But before we get into that, let's go over to the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow Logan Blatman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course Apple Podcasts and Spotify is what you're listening to right now. On uh, Twitter, you can find me at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan, with the show's Instagram account being the Logan Blackman Show One. And then uh, you go on YouTube, Facebook, search Logan Blackman Show, should pop up. Make subscribe to the YouTube channel, watch a couple videos like those, and then go on the Facebook page, like and follow on the Facebook page. Check out a few blog posts. We haven't had a blog post in a little bit, but if you could go check that one out, and if you want to go to the Logan Blackman Show dot com and go into the blog section, and check on some check out some links on there as well. You are more than welcome to do that as well. You can also check out the podcast on there as well. You've got links to the Apple Pocket and Spotify accounts from the website, so go check that out. And then speaking of that, you're listening right now. The only way you know what I'm saying right now is if you're listening to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify account. So if you're listening right now and you don't know if you're subscribed, just make sure you check. And if you're not, just go hit the subscribe or follow button or whatever you want to click. And then leave a rating out of five stars on both. And leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Whether it's good, bad, ugly, do not care. Just let me know. It could be about an individual episode. It could be about the show in general. It could be about the host. It could be about what we're talking about. I don't care. Just leave a description on why you feel the way you do. And leave a rating again out of five stars. It does not need to be five stars. But I greatly appreciate it if you did leave a five star rating. Now, um, we did not do a show last week. Like we said a little bit ago, this is the first show we've done of 2023. And... I initially planned on not doing a show on Monday. I mean, Sunday was New Year's Day. I was not really planning on doing anything that entire day. So I sat down and was like, yeah, we're good. We're good. We don't need to record anything. So I wasn't planning on it. I went to, like, I was super lame on New Year's. I was super lame on New Year's. So we went over to a couple of a friend's house to watch the Iowa game. And Iowa versus Kentucky, which was about as exciting as one would have predicted it to be. It was 21-0. Iowa got a couple defensive touchdowns. Um, yeah, not very exciting. I don't know who the hell would have bet the over in that game. And I know, actually, I do say that. And I know someone who did because he was bragging about it to me before the game started. And I said, Brady, the guy who was on the show a couple weeks ago. I said, Brady, why the hell did you bet the over? Don't know. I just feel like there's going to be a lot of scoring. There wasn't. The game was boring as hell. But Iowa won. And apparently there's going to be a lot of changes going on this offseason in regards to Iowa football and for the better. So we'll see if this is a, a new team we got going for us next season. Got a, got a quarterback coming in this offseason as well. Got two quarterbacks coming in. I was thinking of the guy who just tran- or just committed there a couple days ago. But obviously McNamara's coming in as well. So we'll see how that all transpires. But we left their house, went to another friend's house, didn't do anything really there, just drank water the entire time I was there, uh, hung out there till about 9.30, then came back to the, our apartment complex and uh, watched the end of the Georgia-Ohio State game and went to bed at around 11, maybe 11.10. Like, I was so drained. We had some, uh, we hung out with some friends on Friday night, so the day before Saturday, the day before New Year's Eve. And, um, yeah, d- just was super drained from that that day because I didn't go to bed t- uh, till about 12.30 or 1 that night. 
we met up at Poor Choices over here in Grimes and then just hung out, watched some highlights, watched, just listened to music, just hung out. It was a pretty fun night. But it just, the Saturday just dragged, dragged so long. And then Sunday, I was fine. Like, Sunday woke up decently early. We just didn't really want to record a show. Didn't really want to do anything on Sunday. And then Monday rolls around. And I was like, yep, I don't think that was a good idea not to record a show. I, got, I didn't really want to do anything. I just wanted to sit around and do nothing. And then I met up with some friends later Monday. And we were going to sit down and watch Cincinnati Bengals versus the Buffalo Bills game. And this game was billed to be one of the best regular season games of all time, like pre-game-wise. When you're looking at the combined records and see what each team has done this year, what was on the line for this game, you were saying they're like, man, this is going to be an insane game. It's absolutely going to be insane. And you're sitting there getting yourself hyped up for it, and you're getting stressed out the entire time as a fan. You know, all your friends are sitting there like, man, are you excited for that Bills-Bengals game? And you're seeing that's like, yeah, I'm excited. And the inside of you, you're like, I'm not excited at all. I'm actually terrified about what's going to transpire in that game because there's a lot, again, a lot riding on this game. A hell, hell of a lot riding on this game. And as the game kicks off, you're doing score predictions. I said 31-27 Bills. Because I'm not, I'm not going to predict my team to lose when they have a chance to clinch the number one seed in the AFC. I'm not going to predict my team to lose in any circumstance. Under, under that circumstance, I'm not going to predict my team to lose. 31-27 was my score. Bengals get the ball first march right down the field. Like, relatively easy. First play of the game, they target Trey White and go down deep down the far sideline, Jamar Chase. It's like, oh, so that's how this game's going to be. And if Trey White didn't get the pass interference call in that play, who knows, maybe they score a touchdown earlier than that. But they marched right down the field. Right down the field. And the Bills, in their own right, when they got the ball offensively, were moving the ball pretty well, too. It just happened that their drive ended up stalling out in the red zone, and they had this over three. So you're sitting there, it's like, okay, this is as fast-paced, as physical as I was kind of expecting it to be. Like a very stressful game as a fan. Like, I'm not sitting down at this point. There was a couch. I'm standing behind the couch with leaning over on the couch because I'm like, I need to stand. I can't sit in one place. And none of my friends I'm with are Bills fans. One of them's a Chiefs fan who is just sitting there just hoping and praying that the Bills lose this game. He says, it's the only time I'll ever be a Bengals fan, which only time, I mean, I like the Bengals. I really have no issue with the Bengals. Didn't have any issues before the game. At all. I've, I've said numerous times in the show that Joe Burrow is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. Not Obviously not number one. I mean, we got Josh Allen, and then like Lamar Jackson is definitely up there too. Two of my top three quarterbacks in the NFL were in this game. I love Jamar Chase as well. And I'm sitting there, it's like, man, I don't like this game. I don't like this game. I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. And then that first drive of the game with the Cincinnati Bengals, when they march right down the field, like we just talked about. And the Bills' defense this season has been very weird in regards to how they start in games. So look at what the Bills' defense does in the first quarter. Like the, One of the worst defenses in the NFL, I think they're like 26th or something in total defense in the first quarter. And then they stifled shit up in the second, third, and fourth quarter, and they just completely lock everybody down. Like The Bills' defense are led by Le- Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott's a defensive-minded head coach, so defense is the number one priority for the Bills. You look at Sean McDermott and his time in Buffalo, the linebacking court and the secondary – are key to the success of that defense. They've been relatively unchanged throughout McDermott's time as the Bills head coach, and Leslie Frazier's time as the Bills defense coordinator in that same breath, because he's been there as long as Sean McDermott has. And, like, you watch the Dolphins game. The thing that was really frustrating about the Dolphins game was they were hitting things across the middle. They were going crossing routes and stuff like that. If you look at how the Bengals marched right down the field, a lot of their things they did in that first drive were in the middle of the field. So, on the start of the Bengals' second drive, T. Higgins catches the ball on a crossing route. And I put my head down. I'm like, oh, God, this is 
Why? What is wrong? Why can't they cover the middle of the field? What is going on in the middle of the field? And then all of a sudden, I'm looking down at this point because I'm standing behind the couch and I'm, I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I'm getting frustrated because another thing is hit across the middle and the Bengals look like they're going to score another touchdown. You know, I think it was the second play of the drive or something like that. But I look down. I'm like, oh my God, another crossing route. Another thing across the middle. And then I hear a hit. And I don't really, I don't look up initially, but I hear, I was like, ooh, ooh. And I look up and I see a player laying on the field. And one of the friends I'm with goes, oh, there's another injury because Taron Johnson got hurt early on in the game. He got a nice little pretty cheap shot from Hayden Hurst early on in the game. And I look up and I'm like, oh, what's, come on. And I, I turn to my friends and I'm frustrated at this point beyond all belief because I'm getting nervous. I'm getting very nervous. And when I'm sitting there watching the game and I see Taron Johnson go down and then I realize it's DeMar Hamlin that's laying on the field. I'm like, when you're playing a team like the Bengals who have an elite passing attack like they do and have three of the best the best wide receiver trio in the NFL in regards to Chase, uh, Higgins, and Boyd, you need secondary pieces, especially key players like Hamlin and Johnson. But then as we cut to commercial break, I notice the breaks are taking a little bit longer. And if you flash back to week two, Bills and Titans played. The Bills absolutely routed the Titans. But what I remember most about that game, other than the result of what happened and what, what like Josh and Diggs did in that game, was Dane Jackson. So for those of you who aren't aware who Dane Jackson is, Dane Jackson's one of the Bills' starting corners. A lot of Bills fans are wanting Kyrie Elam, the guy they just traded up and drafted in the first round this year to finally get some starts, but Dane Jackson has kept his spot relatively ever since coming back from his injury. So in that game against the Titans, Dane Jackson and Tremaine Edmonds kind of collide in the middle of the field, making a tackle. And I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating here. Like it looked like Dane Jackson, the top of Dane Jackson's head or the crown of his head touched the middle of his back. So we were sitting there, my dad and I were at cake stand watching this game. We came back to my apartment afterwards and the commercial just going on and on. And you're like, Oh, that's not, that's not good. And then they replayed it. And you're like, Oh, that's really not good. Like I remember sitting there watching that game and going, Oh my God, I just, he, he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. We just saw someone get paralyzed on the football field. It was one of the scariest things I've ever seen on a football field. And you're just taken back by it because you you know football is a violent sport. You know football is a violent sport. You know freak, ha- freak injuries happen, and you know things like that are bound to happen. But you just don't expect it to happen to your team and one of your players, one of your starters, and stuff like that. So you see the ambulance go on the field, and you're like, I don't know if Dane Jackson's going to be able to walk again. But then the best news ever came out after the game, and I guess Dane Jackson walked out of the hospital that night, if I'm remembering that correctly. But like, that was so scary, and I just remember how long the commercials took. So then we, we go back to the Bills-Bengals game, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, these commercials are taking a really long time. And my heart starts beating faster because I'm starting to get nervous. And not nervous about the game anymore, I'm nervous about what just happened to DeMar Hamlin. And then I look at my phone, and my dad and sister and I are talk- texting, and my dad goes, DeMar Hamlin, DeMar just stood up and fell over. I didn't see that. All I saw was DeMar on the field. I didn't see him stand up and then fall over. But the commercials kept going on and on, and then I turned to my friends like, this is not good. This, this really isn't good. And I told them about what happened to Jane Jackson week two, and then the commercials break. Ambulance is on the field. And the first person they cut to was Josh Allen. And Josh Allen, and I'm not this, I don't really care what 
what you have to say about this situation. Josh Allen, for all your opinions about Josh Allen, Josh Allen is one of the most fearless players in the entire NFL. And when I say that, you watch what Josh Allen's done ever since his rookie year. Like, just in his rookie year alone, you saw him hurdle Anthony Barr in the middle of the field. Week three, second ever start in his NFL career. He's hurdling one of the best linebackers in the NFL on the road against one of the best defenses at the time in the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings. With the likes of Everson Griffin, um, Linval Joseph, uh, Everson Griffin, did I say him? Daniil Hunter was the other one I was thinking of. Xavier Rhodes, Harrison Smith, and you got, like, Anthony Barr, you got Eric Kendricks. Like, you've got an insane defense. All in their primes. And Josh Allen, in his third, his second start, third game ever, is leaping over defenders. You fast forward to the Jaguars game. He's stiff arms defensive lineman on his way to running, in, running into Ninja, running into the, for a touchdown. Two games I was at, by the way. And they cut to Josh Allen in this moment, and Josh Allen is not... I've never seen that before. I've never seen someone that is so fearless on a football field, look like that before. Like, that scared me. I ha- You know when you have these situations, you see players get hurt and stuff like this? Like, different scenarios run through your head. And you always hope for the best. But I have never in my life, in 25 years of watching football, I've watched a lot of football in my day, I have never seen that. The look on Josh Allen's face made my stomach drop. And they cut to Jaquan Johnson. And they cut to Stephon Diggs. You could read Stephon Diggs' lips. And he's saying, God, please no. I've never seen this in my life. I've played football. I've watched football. I've commentated on football. I have never seen that before. And then right after they cut from Stephon Diggs, they say they're performing CPR on the field. And you're sitting there watching this happen on live television right in front of you. A 24-year-old kid is getting CPR performed on him on the field. Died on the field. Legally died. And his teammates, his brothers, his friends are there watching it. And you as a fan don't know these people in regards to their personal lives. But when you watch them every day, you develop a a connection to these people who have no idea who you are. You spend every Sunday with them. You live and die by things that they do on the football field. And you're watching these players that are, like, who stand in the face of 300-pound linemen and are fearless. And you see fear in their eyes. That is terrifying. Like, that, that is the sca- most scared I've ever been watching a game ever. Was that moment. And I'm getting, I'm getting choked up thinking about it because, I've ne- again, I've never felt like that. Out of all my years watching football, I've never felt like that. And I, if you've talked to me in the past week about this situation, and I've talked to a lot of people because I'm a Bills fan, I know about DeMar Hamlin, and you've heard me say that before, so you're probably tired of me sick of saying it. I don't care. And I know there's people out there who are not Bills fans, who aren't necessarily football fans, that were terrified of the situation. And this is coming from someone that's dedicated their life to watching, playing, commentating, whatever, football, and I've never seen that before. Joe Burrow 
walked over to Josh Allen and was white as a ghost. You see Trey White and Mitch Morse hugging on the field. Trey White bawling his eyes out. This is a defense, we just said this, this is a defense and a secondary that's been relatively unchanged since Sean McDermott has taken over to the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. They have drafted, developed almost all these pieces on their roster. Trey White drafted, Dane White, Jane Jackson drafted, Taron Johnson drafted, Damar Hamlin drafted, Hyde and Poyer were free agent acquisitions, but they've been there forever. Hyde and Poyer have been there as with Trey White ever since Sean McDermott took over as the Buffalo Bills head coach and Brandon Bean took over as the GM. Like, this is a unit that has been together, has built a friendship, a brother, and they just drafted Kyrie Elam, they drafted Christian Benford, that has been together for, ev- for the past, uh, quick math, six, five, six, seven years. And you see a guy you're with every day that you're in meetings with. A tw- again, a 24-year-old kid getting CPR on the field. Like, I'm sitting here as a fan tearing up and getting emotional. Like, this is the person they're with every day. When Sean McDermott dropped to his knees, that's another person. When you look at what the Bills are, with Sean McDermott, his fingerprints are all over the team. He's a defensive-minded head coach. But you listen to what the players talk about. You look at how they act off the field. They live and die and breathe everything Sean McDermott says. And when he dropped to his knees, I was like, this isn't, this isn't normal. Nine minutes they performed CPR on the field. Nine minutes. And there was part of me that was sitting there watching this like, they're going to play this game. Because the first thing the NFL is and all these different sporting sporting uh, organizations are is their businesses. That's one thing you like, you hear a player get traded or something like that. What's the first thing they say? How do you feel about getting traded? Well, I understand it's a business. Like you take the human element out of the player and just use them as a commodity is what you look at them as. But then that moment, everybody in the world viewed this as this is their friend, their teammate, their brother. It wasn't a, just a, a piece on a 53-man roster on the Buffalo Bills. This was DeMar Hamlin, 24-year-old from Pittsburgh. Drafted sixth round. Like, this is, we know exactly who he is. And Ryan, Ryan Clark, who is one of the better, um, I don't even want to call him, like the analyzers, I guess, on ESPN, he hosts a podcast. Um, well, I'm completely blanking on the podcast right now. I'm blanking on a lot of things right now. Um, pivot, the pivot. Very good podcast. I recommend you listen to it. But uh, he's sitting there on ESPN with Scott Van Pelt and says, at 24 years old, I didn't think I could die. You don't think about that when you're 24 years old, especially on the football field where, again, you know injuries can happen. You know life-altering things can happen with every single snap on a football field. You're putting your life, your blood, sweat, and tears on a football field that you could change in an instant. And I guarantee DeMar Hamlin did not wake up that day and say, you know what? I bet I'm going to have cardiac arrest during this game. Completely normal play. Nothing insane, nothing ridiculous, nothing illegal about anything that happened 
and it happened. The most normal thing that happened, happened, and yet DeMar Hamlin was dead on the football field. And you're checking Twitter. This is one of the beautiful... Social media, you can have your opinions about social media. For the grand scheme of things, I think social media can cause a lot more problems than good. For a lot of different scenarios. But on that night, I bet Twitter's usage rate jumped up about 500%. Because everybody's trying to check and see what's going on with DeMar Hamlin. So there's only so much ESPN can tell you. Because they're not in the hospital. They're not with him. They're just on the field. Just like, Hey, uh, yeah, this happened. And I give a lot of credit to the people at ESPN for how they handled the situation, because in a situation like that, that's so unprecedented because there's been times where ambulance has been on the field, like an ambulance being on the field, as scary as it is, is not like out of the normal. It does happen from time to hell. Again, it happened in week two with the bills and Titans with Dane Jackson. So I wasn't like sitting there like, Oh, there's an ambulance on the field. No, this, I got multiple texts about this. Did he just say they've been performing CPR? And that's where it changes. And ESPN, I think they did a really good job on ha- how they controlled the situation, how they talked about it, how they worded everything. But everybody on so- everybody out there is just checking social media, hoping and praying that DeMar Hamlin is alive. Or may- not awake, but just alive. That's all everybody's hoping for. Because again, you're taking away the team element here and you're looking at it as DeMar Hamlin. Not the asset. You're not looking at the number. You're not looking at the contract. You're not looking at anything. You're looking at DeMar Hamlin, the human, the individual. And I think that's, if you could say anything good happened out of this, I think that's one good thing that happened here. Is we looked at him as an individual. Not as this commodity. Everybody in the at least the United States, because I know the NFL is not the most popular sport outside the United States, or football in general. Everybody in the States, whether you watch football or not, knows who DeMar Hamlin is. And Twitter was getting checked nonstop. And then once you got to a point, you're like, All right, well, they're not going to release anything tonight. But I got back to my apartment, and as I'm walking up the stairs to my apartment, I start tearing up. Because then you start, then your mind starts. Like when you're with friends, you kind of like take your mind off and try to bounce off things that could have happened. And I'm not going to speculate on what did happen or what didn't. I don't get paid for that. But when you're by yourself alone with your thoughts, then you start going down that dark rabbit hole. And I talked to my dad on the phone for an hour and about 15 minutes afterwards. And a lot of that was radio silence because neither one of us expected that to happen. It was a thing that was not supposed to happen that I've never seen before. And you just hope and pray that he's alive. You see these players' faces. And you see Zach Taylor go over to Sean McDermott and talk about Sean McDermott saying, I can't coach this game. I need to be with DeMar in the hospital. And for us Bills fans, it's not surprising. That's what Sean McDermott preaches. Sean McDermott has always been about the individuals rather than the team. You talk about the process, but these are individuals. And DeMar Hamlin that night... This is one thing I love about Bills Mafia. Bills Mafia's got some insane fans, both good and bad. The insane fan mantra can go on multiple different levels here in regards to being a good thing and a bad thing. Either with the Bills being so good so fast after being terrible for my entire life, there's a lot of quick 
and reactionary stuff going on here because you're afraid to go back to that. So you're trying to do everything you can to avoid going back to the 18-year playoff drought. You're just trying everything you can to avoid that. So if one thing goes wrong, fire Sean McDermott. Like, that's the initial. You're, you're, not, you're not struggling anymore. You're not poor anymore. You don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. It'll be fine. But one thing Bills Mafia does better than a lot of teams, or not, I don't want to say better because that makes it sound pretentious, but what they do very good is, like, you look at players and things happen to them. Like Andy Dalton, Tyler Boyd, uh, Lamar Jackson, Tua. Players that have done something involving the Buffalo Bills and their charities get flooded with donations. And DeMar Hamlin, another thing that popped up positive out of this is DeMar Hamlin, who had a toy drive <laughs> called Chasing Hems that he made when he just got out of college right before the NFL with a goal of $2,500 is now sitting damn near at $9 million for a charity for a toy drive. He requested $2,500. He's almost at $9 million. Maybe he's over. Maybe he's over. He was just around $9 million when I woke up this morning, or just below that. So he might have passed it at this point. I don't know. But when these situations pop up and you see the individual for who you are, who they are, it makes you almost more sad that this happened. You see all the things DeMar Hamlin's done, like all the offers he got out of high school, and he didn't have a role model growing up, so he was going to stay back in Pittsburgh and play for the Pitt Panthers and stay home for his brother. You see a guy that has a toy drive. You see his parents working with, um, oh, crap, a daycare. I believe it's a daycare. I could be wrong. You look at how religion ties into every single thing he does. You see how closely knit he is with the team. And you find out more about the person. And then again, it comes up with the whole thing of why do good thing, bad things happen to good people. But what the, when situations pop up like this, with good people having their life pretty much taken away from them, is that they come back stronger. You never once, and this is testament to DeMar's upbringing as well, you never saw his parents or friends or close ones in the hospital with him that were shedding tears. Because his friend went on Pat McAfee's show the next day and said, basically, we know who DeMar is. We know who DeMar is. We're not afraid that he's not going to wake up because we know who DeMar is. And some things are out of your control like that. But when you have that much faith in somebody that they can pull through, and it's kind of out of his control, I understand that, but... Like as the weeks went, as the week went on, and you're sitting there just praying, hoping, and praying that that something positive comes out of this. And as the days go on, you keep refreshing Twitter just to see something pop up about Demar Hamlin and something positive. People coming out of the woodworks to say what's going on with him, and then you hear about, oh, he's grabbing things. Oh, he's they've removed fifty percent of his oxygen. He's starting to breathe on his own, and then you hear he's awake. And you see the Bills, before he was awake and talking and all this other stuff, you watch the press conference with Sean McDermott and Josh Allen, which I know everybody out there was waiting for. The faces of the Bills franchise. Two of the biggest leaders in the entire NFL, and you're waiting to hear what they have to say. And then when you see, again, people that you perceive as being these macho men, these, oh, I'm not going to back down from anybody. These fearless guys. And you see them break down in a press conference. It it hurts. 
And again, these are people that don't even know you exist. For the majority of us out there, our favorite teams, our favorite players have no idea if we exist or not. But yet we dedicate so much time and sometimes money into these so they feel like they're part of our family. So when you see a family member cry or break down and you see them as this, you hold them on such a high pedestal and you look at them like, oh man, you are the toughest person I know. But when that tough person breaks down, then that makes everybody break down. And when Sean McDermott and Josh Allen broke down in that press conference, it it hurt. It hurt a lot. But then once you hear the news of DeMar Hamlin being awake and FaceTiming the team and flexing on the on the Jumbotron in the or Jumbotron on the, the Zoom meeting or FaceTime in the in the meeting room. And you watch the press conference on Friday with Sean McDermott, and he's just completely different face. Completely different atmosphere in the press conference. So much happiness. You see Brandon Bean, same thing, who's been in the hospital with DeMar, or at least with his family, since Monday, getting back to Buffalo. And you sit there and your whole thing changes. From Monday to Friday, how quickly things changed for the better when you spent all this time worrying and getting scared and hoping and praying that he just makes it out alive, I don't care. At this point, you don't care if he can ever play football again. You just want him to be alive. Which, again, is the testament to adding the human element back into football and adding it back into athletes because some a lot of people out there dehumanize athletes and say you get paid all this money, you cannot show any emotion. This is, again, something that has never really happened. In the history of the NFL. There's probably some scenario where this has happened that I'm not too familiar with. But just because you're making this amount of money, you just look at the price tag. You have emotion. You're with this person every day. And one thing that I think is cool and one thing people don't really think about when it comes to the NFL and these contracts, the NFL and the NFL Players Association are giving tomorrow's contract. Because there was a clause in his contract that if he made IR, he got half of it taken away. And people don't think about that in the NFL. Like, people always look at the money and go, oh, he's set for life. No, he's not. One of the oldest sayings in the NFL is that you make it to your, wait till your next contract. Make it to contract two. And then we'll talk about being, quote unquote, set for life. He's making a god, goddamn a lot of money. So I'm not, I'm not sitting here and saying that he's underpaid or anything. But if he didn't make it to, once you're in year four, then you're vested in the NFL. You don't make it, like, people don't realize the average NFL career is like two years. If that. Because people want to look at the Tom Brady's, Aaron Rodgers of the world, or Peyton Manning's and see how long those guys played and how much money they got. That's not the reality. The reality is people like DeMar Hamlin. And I'm not saying that the the reality is players passing away on the football field. That's not the reality. The reality is that you're in their second year and possibly never playing football again. If you have first-round draft pick, you're going to be an undrafted dude. You'll get more of a leash if you're a first-round draft pick, especially if you're a quarterback like we're finding out with Zach Wilson. But, hey, you're not guaranteed shit in the NFL. You are not guaranteed a dime. And you almost die on the football field. That's what it takes for the NFL to go, you know what? We'll give you a contract. How's that sound? And there was rumors during the game that the NFL was like, hey, five minutes and go back out there. And you see Joe Burrow warming up, and Joe Burrow, again, is white as a ghost. And you're like, how the hell are you going to make these guys go out there again? 
and the NFL can try and save face and say like, oh man, we were that was never an option. Someone said it. Joe Buck's not pulling that thing out of his ass. Someone said it. An official said it. So let's not let's try to cover our tracks a little bit quicker. I give all the credit in this to Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott. Those two, I don't care what happens. I know Brian Dable's done bits with the New York Giants during the playoffs. I know Sirianni's done really well with the Eagles. I know there's other different coaching situations that have been really well. Mike Tomlin getting another team uh, winning record. Uh, Doug Peterson over 2-6 and six to playoff team like in division champs. What Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor did on Monday Night Football, that's one of the greatest things I've ever seen on a football field, ever. And... I hope that, that, again, one of the things that's positive about this, you've seen how the NFL world and how like people in general have reacted to this situation. And it's just really nice because you see what kind of person DeMar is and it makes everybody go towards and be like DeMar, play for DeMar, pray for DeMar, love for DeMar. A guy that if you, if you didn't watch the Bills every week, I would not be surprised if you didn't know who DeMar Hamlin was. Everybody knows who DeMar Hamblin is now. And it started off for a bad reason, but now it's become a really good thing. Not not the situation itself, but people finding out about how good of a person DeMar Hamblin is. I had to make sure I correct myself there. Or say like save myself. But I'm in a completely different place right now. And I can't imagine about the players. I, I don't know what I can't imagine anything that they're going through right now. I've had friends pass away. In the past, I've had friends collide on the football field, both of them break their necks. Like, I've had situations like that, like, not exactly like this, but things that make you question life. Things that you never thought could happen are happening all around you. But I, the players and how they've handled this situation has been amazing. I cannot say anything bad about any of the players, apart from Hendrickson and Hayden Hurst. We got some talks for you <laughs> but uh how things can turn good from something so bad and almost tragic is really nice and to see what happened today again it made you tear up today watching the bills versus the new england patriots like the game was not so i thought the bills were absolutely gonna wipe the floor with them once they found out demar hamill was alive and he flexed for the the team and everything on zoom I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be a 40-point route. route. We're going to have a playoff game 2.0 this time around. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. But when they came out with the flags with three on it, and all the players are there with their three hats on, holding up number three after every single thing they do, it got emotional. And then the first play of the game, like, Hollywood couldn't have. If you, if you wrote this in Hollywood, people will say it was fake. That didn't happen. And Naheem Hines, who has done, and I've bitched and moaned about getting Naheem Hines on the field more often, but Naheem Hines did one of the coolest things I've ever seen watching a game ever, returning the kickoff, the first kickoff of the game for a touchdown. It could not have happened at a better moment in a better game. Nothing could have topped that moment. Like, that moment was emotional just watching Naheem Hines go to the sidelines crying. And to make it work, and then Josh Allen, after the game starts tearing up talking about it, I saw it on Twitter right after. It's three months and three <laughs> three years and three months since the Bills' last kicker turned for a touchdown. Three months and three years since the Bills' last kicker turned for a touchdown. 
and Naheem Hines did it on the first kickoff of the game. And people want to take away, like, oh, you feel this about a stupid sport? Yeah, I do. Like, things like that make me so happy. I was so happy watching that. I'm with my dad, and we're sitting there watching it, and we're like, oh, my God, that just happened. And you got, like, chills. You Like, the hairs in the back of your neck are standing up. Like, you're getting chills just thinking about it. And it's so emotional how much that meant. I would only wish I was at the game to see how that all went down, to see what happened in that game, to see what happened in that moment, what happened in pregame and everything. I just wish I was there for that. And LaShawn McCoy being the, the legend of the game, Pitt legend, one of my my favorite Pittsburgh Panther of all time, because I watched a lot of Pitt football growing up. <laughs> to, to maybe it's a surprise to some people out there, but Bill Stoll and LaShawn McCoy were two of my favorite players growing up. Don't know why Bill Stoll. LaShawn McCoy kind of speaks for himself, but Bill Stoll. Don't know why, but that kickoff was so it was so much riding on that, like so much emotion was into that kickoff. And then not only to do that, which was a uh, itself an insane thing. First time the Bills have had a kick return on the opening kickoff of a game since 2004 with Terrence McGee against the Dolphins. Then we get Naheem Hines doing it again. The second player in NFL history to do it since 2010. 11th time ever. Second person to do First person to do this since 2010. High step in his way into the end zone. Two of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life happened today. With how much emotion was it? Was in this thing. And you see how the players reacted. Three years and three months since the Bills' last kicker turned for a touchdown. That one meant so much more. The first, the last one was Micah Hyde on an onside kick, which was pretty cool. <laughs> was against the, I think it was against the Dolphins. But it was pretty cool. But it wasn't anything that – nothing will ever rival that in my mind forever. And then not only that, Josh Allen threw a touchdown pass to uh, Dawson Knox today. And the pass to Dawson Knox got Knox's 20th – Touchdown in Bills history for a t- second all-time tight end with touchdowns for Buffalo Bills in history. That touchdown to Knox was Josh Allen's 33rd passing touchdown of the season. 33. And then um, why don't we make this a little bit scarier for you? Josh Allen in the game finished with three passing touchdowns. You want to know how many interceptions the Bills defense had today? Three. One of them, I think Trey White got away with a little P.I., but uh, don't matter. <laughs> Rep did call it. They let him play early on in the game, and then they threw like one of the most softest holding calls I've ever seen on Kyrie Elam, who had a very bad drive that drive. Got beat on the holding call, which wasn't a holding call, but then got beat on a touchdown by Devontae Parker later on. But all these different threes. Like, this is if you are not romantic about football, I challenge you to go back and watch this game. From start to finish, it was just everything you could have asked for. The Bills kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times this game. Josh threw in a red zone interception. I got hit while he threw the ball. I I don't know where he was going anyways with it, so I I think that was a better case. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was probably going to get picked off anyways. And then Taiwan Jones hit the ball in a punt return. Patriots covered in plus territory. So there's two chances the Bills could have gone up more in that game because the interception happened right before halftime and the Bills are driving. So they could have had a bigger lead in that game. Hell, maybe they could have scored 33 points in the game. I don't know. But, um, well, no, they scored more than 33. Why did I even say that? <laughs> I couldn't remember what the score was. Maybe they could have won by 33. That's what I was trying to say, I guess. 
but this was one of the the most fun times, sometimes frustrating times, but this is one of the most fun games I've watched in a while. And a completely different feeling than what I had on Monday night. And I think a completely different feeling for everybody that watched this game. And completely different feeling for everybody that played in this game. Everybody that was around the league and everything. Like, this was a cool moment. This was a very cool moment. I was happy. I was so happy. Bills made the playoffs. Uh, they didn't get the one seed, which is uh, in itself a... A weird situation and the Chiefs fans I always find it funny when the Chiefs fans complain about something when it's completely in their favor like how how do the Chiefs really have any room to complain about this the Chiefs shouldn't have the one seed to begin with and yet they have it the Bills had the one seed didn't lose and then now the Chiefs have it I understand there was no contest there but Bills go from not losing with the one seed to then not losing and then losing the one seed and the Chiefs fans are like, oh, that's bullshit that they have a neutral site. No, it's not. Really isn't. Really isn't. You shouldn't have the one seed to begin with. And yet you're the ones bitching about it. Ugh, crazy how that works out. The only team that should be bitching about anything the NFL decided to do in regards to the playoff situation is Cincinnati Bengals. But thankfully, we don't need to worry about that anymore because the Bengals killed the Ravens today. And it wasn't like the scoreboard might not show an absolute bloodbath, but that Ravens team without Lamar Jackson stinks. They absolutely reek. Anthony Brown... I, yeah, I don't know. They need Lamar Jackson back for the playoffs. That team reeks. <laughs> That's all I can really say about the Baltimore Ravens at this point in time. That defense isn't very good. And Joe Burrow played really well. And Joe Burrow, I say really well. He had a good game. Jamar Chase played really well. But um, what was funny about this is uh, they asked Joe Burrow what the Bengals Super Bowl window is like. And Joe Burrow had one of the cold, uh, typical Joe Burrow had one of the coldest quotes in the NFL said, uh, the window's my career. And I think that's sick. Love Joe Burrow. How can you not love Joe Burrow? And... Uh, <laughs> With, speaking of Joe Burrow, I I already had a shitload of respect for Joe Burrow. I have so much more respect for Joe Burrow now than I did before, and I, I was already at astronomical levels with Joe Burrow. I think most people are with how Joe Burrow carries himself, how he's came from Athens, Ohio, to Ohio State, to losing the job, to going to LSU, quarterback graveyard LSU, and then winning a Heisman Natty, the greatest college team I've ever watched. I know people are going to say the Miami team. I didn't watch them, so I can't say that. But – um. For how Joe Burrow carried himself just walking over to the sideline, going into the Bills' locker room after the situation happens. Zach Taylor going over to the Bills' sideline, talking to Sean McDermott. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And, uh, yeah, now the Bills are going in to play the, the Miami Dolphins in the in the playoffs this year, which is fine. I mean, the Jets screwed that thing up, lose 6-9, to nine, which is a funny – no, they didn't because they had that stupid lateral thing. They lost 6-11. to 11. Forgot about that. Um, yeah, I'd, stupid. Screw the Jets. Absolutely screw the Jets. And we're going to see what they do this offseason. I mean, Garrett Wilson, congratulations to Garrett Wilson, though, getting 1,000 yards receiving this season. With how the different, how many different quarterbacks the Jets have had and how chaotic that offense has been, they haven't scored a touchdown in 11 quarters. 11 quarters is the last time that stupid team has scored a touchdown. And I was banking my hopes on eliminating the Dolphins from the playoffs of Joe Flacco and that Jets team. Granted, it was against Skylar Thompson, so I wasn't sitting there like, oh, man, this is impossible. I didn't think it was going to happen, but screw the Jets. It's the same thing like putting your faith in the garbage organizations like the Raiders. Like, it's the same thing. Why do I put my faith in garbage-ass teams? The Raiders played better against the number one defense in the NFL. Jarrett Stidham looked like a possible quarterback in the NFL, and then now he shits the bet against the Chiefs defense. And Patrick Mahomes is 16-0 and on the road in his own division, 
which is stupid in its own right. And, I mean, it's just another thing of the Chiefs, like, oh, the Chiefs being, oh, woe is me. You're playing a bunch of bum-ass quarterbacks who you should be killing. You should have lost the Broncos both times. You should have lost the Texans. Would have liked the Raiders to at least show up. You should have lost to the freaking Chargers. Like, it... I hate the Chiefs. I hate the Chiefs with the burning passion. And the fact they can complain about anything, they're the one seed... And the two teams that beat them are two and three. And the Bills had the one seed again, didn't lose, and the Chiefs jumped. And again, I understand why, but it doesn't make it less annoying. But I don't know what they're going to do with that neutral site thing. That neutral site thing is kind of weird. And I had Lou, Brady and I talked about that on the show. We had loose plans to go to the AFC Championship game. That's out of the question now. Go to Indianapolis or Detroit or something like that. I don't know where they're going to go. That's if. That's if the Chiefs make it. And the Pills. But yeah, it's uh the NFL world was really connected today this week. And it was really cool to see. Really cool to see. Demar Hamlet's got like a million followers on Instagram already. Which is awesome. His GoFundMe thing's gone up to around nine million dollars. People have found out how good of a person he is. And I have no doubt in my mind, at this point anyways, like this could be wrong in the in the future, but I don't really have a doubt in my mind that he's gonna play again. Like, there was a, when you're sitting there on Monday night, you're worried about him being alive or be able to just walk again. And now you're sitting here on Sunday, a week later, and I'm sitting here, I was like, you'll play again. I really don't, I have no fear of him shooting back up and potentially being a starting safety for the Bills next year. Because my dad and I have talked about this before, and we've talked about this on the show before, the contract for the Bills defense between Edmonds and Poyer. And I think it'll go to Tremaine Edmonds. Poyer's uh, impact on the Buffalo Bills organization has been second to none since he's been here. He's been one of the best players the Bills have ever had, let alone safeties. But you look at the financial situation of both of them, Tremaine Edmonds is going to be 25 in May. Poyer's going to be 32 in April. From a money standpoint, it makes sense to go with Tremaine Edmonds. And Micah Hyde, if Micah Hyde comes back, I don't know if Micah Hyde's going to retire because he has that neck injury, so I don't know if he'll retire or not. I think he's in his... he's Well, he's in his 30s. I don't know how old he is exactly, but... He could possibly retire because it's a similar situation to what Eric Wood had. A former center of the Bills had to retire because of a neck injury. So maybe we'll, we'll see what happens with the Bills' safety situation right now. But my money is on them re-signing Edmonds and that I would imagine Hamlin would be in the running to be one of the starting safeties next year. And this isn't even just because of this whole situation. He was a starting safety before this happened. So it's not like he's getting it just based off of, oh, you almost died. Here's a pity starting position. No, he was starting before. Again, a little up and down, but he was a raw prospect coming out of pit anyways. That's why he was a six-round draft pick. He has the talent. It was just really up and down throughout his time there. But if he comes back next year and fully healthy like I'm expecting him to be, I cannot. I want to go to week one. I don't know who the Bills will play week one. It could be on the road, but I want to go to week one. Because that will be freaking awesome. He's not going to play this year, obviously, but when he gets back to Buffalo, it's going to be crazy. And I can't wait to see all the videos of him hugging the players like Trey White talked about in the press conference today. It's like, I just want to hug the shit out of him. Like, Trey White, like, I love this team. I love the individual players. Like, I love each and every player on this team. Because they're such good people. I think that's my favorite part about this team. And I know, like, Josh Allen could do things that are, make you scratch your head at times, but you cannot doubt anything that he says off the field, him being a leader and a great person. Like, you can scratch your head and go, Josh, what the hell were you doing? 
thought that today when he threw the ball and got intercepted. Like, again, even if he didn't get hit, I think it's still intercepted, so it didn't really help anything. It made it look better, but, yeah, it's a it's a good thing came from a horrible situation, almost deadly situation, and we're looking at it like, man, I'm a good, we're, we're mentally, everybody's in a way better place now. You can just see that from Thursday to Friday with McDermott's interviews and then Josh Allen talking about it. Josh Allen choked up in the press conference today. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. It's cool. That's the best thing I could say about that. But the Chiefs fans complaining about everything, I don't get it. That fan base thinks they're, like, they've won one Super Bowl. You'd think they've won four at this point, the way they act and how they carry themselves. They've been to two. So let's chill out here. You're not the next Patriots yet. You got the best quarterback in the league. But let's chill the hell out here. And speaking of Mahomes, Mahomes had a a pretty decent game against a garbage-ass Raiders team that just didn't even show up, which was freaking awesome. Um, he Patrick Mahomes set a single-season uh, franchise record, or single-season record for total yards in the season. He had 5,563-plus uh, yards. He also leads the league in passing touches. So Mahomes won the MVP. I, I think we've all kind of uh, – I think we've kind of all accepted that Patrick Mahomes will be the MVP of the league. Um but yeah, Patrick Mahomes, the regular season's over. Final stat line, 67% completion percentage, 5,250 yards, career high. 45 passing, 45 total touchdowns, 41 passing, 4 rushing, 12 picks, 14-3 record. Number one seed in the AFC, don't care about that one because that one's bogus to begin with. He is the favorite to win MVP. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. I would love to see Justin Jefferson win that because I don't, th- like, it's weird looking at Patrick Mahomes' numbers and going, there's times where you've been like, what the hell was that? Like, Patrick Mahomes throws red zone interceptions and no one bats an eye about it, but everybody reminds me when Josh Allen throws a red zone interception. And isn't Patrick Mahomes supposed to be better, so shouldn't it be that we're more surprised when Mahomes does it? Like, Mahomes threw a garbage-ass interception against the Broncos. Again, they should have lost the freaking Broncos last week. Bullshit. That's a whole other topic. Hate this stupid team. I say to Brady all the time, I hate the Chiefs. I hate the Chiefs. I'm pissed off they got the number one seed. But, um... Yeah, regards to the MVP race, I think it's Mahomes. I think Allen comes second. I think Burrow's third. Hurts is fourth, and then Jefferson fifth. But I think Jefferson should definitely finish higher, but he's not going to because, like we talked about before, the MVP in the NFL is the Cy Young Award. The Office Player of the Year Award is the MVP Award Baseball. Like, a pitcher is going to win the Cy Young. It's guaranteed to happen. Office Player of the Year, a pitcher could win it. Or a Cy Young pitcher's going to win it, guaranteed, because it's a pitcher award. Office Player of the Year, a pitcher can win it, but it doesn't always need to be a pitcher. Can be a pitcher. So, like, NFL MVP, it's going to be a quarterback. And then, Office Player of the Year, depending on how good that quarterback was, he might win the Office Player of the Year. Or you'll see the best skill position player. It's like Jefferson, or like Cooper Cup winning it last year, or Jonathan Taylor coming close to winning it. But, like, you'll get, like, Lamar Jackson won Office Player of the Year and MVP because he broke the NFL rushing record for a quarterback in a season. Got the Ravens to a 14-2 record. It's like, it made sense. I think Mahomes got it when he won his MVP a few years ago, but uh, yeah, I think the the three best quarterbacks in the NFL reside in the AFC. I have no real issue with Jalen Hurts. I just don't, I just as a general thing, I don't think he's as good as the other three quarterbacks that I just mentioned. I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's well-deserving of being in the top five for an MVP vote. And we said this at the beginning of the year, that he'd be a top five or top 10. Did I say, well, now I'm thinking about it. Was the hot take top 10 or top five? I know I said, that, that was my hot take of him being a top five or top ten quarterback. But I don't remember which one. I'm going to claim top five because it makes me look cooler at this point. And don't look it back up. Don't look it up. But 
I feel vindicated by that. Jalen Hurts had a very, very good year. And him being hurt, I mean, he can't control that. He can't control being hurt or not hurt, but that that did inadvertently hurt his MVP chances. But uh, the Eagles won today, beat the Giants 22-16 with the Davis Webb playing for the New York Giants. Giants benched everybody. Giants playoff spots locked. They didn't care. They really did not care. And Jalen Hurts played the entire game, which made sense because the Eagles were still playing for something because the Eagles lost. The Cowboys would win. The, well, the Cowboys had to win. They didn't. So I guess it didn't really matter in the end. But with that win, they locked up the number one seed in the, the NFC because they lost and the Cowboys won. Then we'd have the – well, the Niners would have been the one seed if the Eagles lost this game. But the Cowboys decided just not to show up against Sam Howell and the Gwasha Commanders, and I'm happy Sam Howell played today. I'm happy Sam Howell played today. And I think it's hilarious. Like, <laughs> this team – well, I guess, like, Dak Prescott played today. Pollard played. Zeke played. CeeDee Lamb played. And he got blitzed 26-6 to by the freaking Washington Commanders who didn't know they were eliminated from the playoffs when they were eliminated from the playoffs. Like, that's the team we're dealing with here. But you already had your spot locked up. You had the five spot locked up. So, I mean, you were kind of just hoping the Eagles would lose to the backup Giants. And it was kind of a situation where the Giants could just decide who they hated more, the Eagles or Cowboys. Because they could have played all their starters and tried to beat the Eagles and had the Cowboys get up and win the division. But, again, it didn't matter because the Cowboys got shit-stomped by the freaking Washington Commanders of all teams. But that was pretty funny. And then we had the Seahawks beating the Rams 19-16, 49ers again 38-13 over the Cardinals. Eagles win 22-16 over the Giants. Steelers beat the Browns 20-14. Again, with the whole AFC playoff picture, you had the Patriots, Dolphins, and Steelers racing for that. The Bills, again, there was no way the Bills were losing the Patriots today. So it was really between the Dolphins and Steelers. I was so – I, and it wasn't even like I'd rather play the Steelers than the Dolphins. I don't really care who the Bills play in the first round of the playoffs this year. Could have been the Patriots, could have been the Steelers, could have been the Dolphins. Don't care. It was just the fact that the Dolphins would go – from being the best team in the NFL. And the Bills' reign atop the AFC East was over when they won the Super Bowl back in Week 3. Remember that? When they killed the Bills with 120-degree heat and had the Bills run 100,000 offensive plays? Remember that? Remember that awesome moment? And now they're sitting there uh, at 9-8 and eight and needed to beat the Jets by frickin' 5. Would have been funnier if they won 6-9, to nine, but they needed to beat Joe Flacco and the Jets. I understand Skylar Thompson was playing, but you're dealing with Joe Flacco here. This is a third-string quarterback. Not like Skylar Thompson's behind two on Teddy Bridgewater. Both those guys are better than Zach Wilson and Mike White. And Flacco, Flacco is the third string behind those two. So what did we sit? What's the situation we're dealing with here? So it's I needed the Jets to win, but I I was fine with the Steel. Steelers. I like Kenny Pickett a lot. Kenny Pickett won me a fantasy football championship. Yeah, we can talk about that now. So uh, my team, where I said, remember at the start of the season, I said I have no faith in this team whatsoever. Where I was sitting there with Trey Lance snapping his ankle week two, and we were going to sit there with, like, what the hell are we going to do? We won a freaking championship, baby. And what was nice about it is that I had Jamar Chase. But with Kenny Pickett throwing that touchdown to Najee Harris at the end of the game, the Ravens' defense got two points. So I won by two points. So I benched Jamar Chase. So let's say, hypothetically, Jamar Chase catches the ball in the first play of the game and then fumbles. I don't know what it would have been in regards to point-wise if it would have been two points off. I didn't need to worry about that. I would benched him. I was like, I'm not taking any chances because there's a, like a less than a percentage chance that happens. He hasn't scored less than eight points all season. But I played I played with fire earlier this year. There was a game where in another league where I had Taysom Hill or Isaiah Likely as my tight end. It was against the Saints. Saints-Ravens game. 
And Taysom Hill had not gotten less than four points all year. I needed two. Well, guess how many points Taysom Hill got? I think less than one. You want to know how many points Isaiah Likely got? Well, let's just say this. He scored a touchdown on the first drive of the game. So that was kind of a situation we got ourselves into. So I kept telling myself, well, Chase hasn't scored less than eight points all season. I know Jamar Chase is on a different freaking planet than Taysom Hill. But that thought was in my head. So I was like, we're just benching him. Don't want to risk it. So with the Bills, Bengals game being a no contest, let's say hypothetically Chase fumbles the first play of the game. Then we're sitting there like, well, what the hell are we supposed to do now? So after the Ravens won, or the Steelers won, with the Ravens, you know, defense doing nothing, I send a picture of me holding a peace sign in front of uh, the TV because now I'm a two-time champion in that league. From where I was at the start of the season to now, my team last year with Herbert, Debo, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, my team last year would have absolutely shat on this team this year. I lost in the championship game last year, and I won this year. And I beat on the – and so my team – I don't know if we said this before. I think we had to because it's fantasy football playoffs and it's important. My team going into the playoffs, like the week before the playoffs, I needed to win because the two teams that were the lowest records in the league were playing each other. So they were going to have – if I lost, I would have the same record as them. But I was the lowest scoring team in the league the entire season. So if I lost, I was in the Sacco, like the wor- like bottom of the league. So I needed to win. Came up with a big win, got to the playoffs, and I beat the one seed, and I think the – I don't remember what Jake and Drew's seeds were, but let's just put it like this. The three teams I beat in the playoffs and route to my championship were the three highest scorers in the league in the regular season. I was the lowest scoring league person in the league, and I won the freaking championship. Jarek McKinnon, freaking GOAT. I love Jarek McKinnon, one of my favorite players of all time now. Single hand, Jarek McKinnon, Jalen Waddle on Christmas. Um, who else is going to be up there? Kirk almost screwed me. Kirk not showing up at all. Like Kirk got a more, almost more points on his first drive of the game against the Bears today than he did last week against the Packers. So that was beautiful. Um, who else? Who else should we give props to? Uh, Tyler Algier, Allgaier. Uh, I benched Kenneth Walker for Allgaier or Algier. They kept saying Algier, but whatever. I put him in above Kenneth Walker. Got two more points. So if I didn't play. Allgaier in that game. I'm sitting there. I don't know what the exact, because we do decimal scoring. So I don't know if I would have lost that game or not. Really stressful situation, fantasy football, but big brain. You got to make tough decisions. Playing Tyler Allgaier in a championship game over Kenneth Walker. When you look at what teams they're playing, the Jets defensive line versus the freaking Cardinals defensive line, it was kind of, it was an easy decision. And in reality, I should have probably played him over in Alvin Kamara, but I, Alvin Kamara's situation against the Eagles was a little bit better than the Jets' defense, especially when you look at the off-to-lines of each team. But I did not expect Taysom Hill to get freaking 14 carries. Like, you forgot you had an elite running back in your backfield, just gave it, giving it to Taysom Hill the entire freaking time. So that would have been awesome to have that game lost up because of that. Uh, Patriots' defense was awesome this year. Michael Badgley, awesome this year as my kicker. Uh, who else gets thanks in this team? Uh, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, of course. Tyler Lockett was good for most of the season before he got hurt. Tyler Higby scoring 23 points on my bench. Uh, thank you, Glenn, for dropping Evan Ingram for Tyler Huntley a couple weeks ago. That really helped me win my championship as well because Evan Ingram got 14 points when Tyler when uh, Tyler Huntley got 23, so it didn't hurt me that bad instead of like getting five points from him and then 23 on the bench. It was pretty cool if Tyler Higby to score his first two touchdowns of the season or two of his first three touchdowns of the season in the last two weeks of the season when he's on my bench. But whatever, not when I'm starting him or anything. Without any injuries we had, we lost our starting quarterback, Trey Lance. We lost Brees Hall. We lost Jamar Chase for a while. We lost Kyle Pitts for the season. Uh, Tyler Lockett was injured for a little bit. Kenneth Walker was hurt for most of the start of the season and losing reps to Rashad Penny. We drafted Kenneth Walker. I mean, how much adversity? Tua was hurt most of the year. Who else? 
Having to start Kirk Cousins in fantasy football, yeah, it's a pretty stressful situation. But you know what? We came out on top. We came out on top. And as we're scrolling through the rest of these games, uh, one game sticks out in particular. And it's one of my favorite games that happened this week. So, um, actually, let's go over the playoff standings real quick. So, right now, the playoff standings read as follows. So, the AFC, we've got the Chiefs at one, Bills two, Bengals three, Jaguars four. Congratulations to Jacksonville. Congratulations to you guys. That was a really, really stupidly hard win that you should not have struggled with when you're playing Josh Dobbs in the, the worst passing defense in the NFL. Shouldn't have struggled that bad. Trevor Lawrence made some horrific throws in that game. But whatever, you won. Uh, then we got the Chargers at five, Ravens six, Dolphins seven. So we got some uh, fun matches. We got the Bills taking on the Dolphins for the third time this year. We got the Ravens and Bengals, a divisional game. Rematch of this week, but hopefully Lamar Jackson's back for the Ravens because they need Lamar Jackson for the playoffs. And then Herbert versus Lawrence. That's a fun game. Those are three fun games. Then we go to the NFC side of things. Eagles one. We got the Niners two, Vikings three, Bucks four. Then we got the Cowboys five. Bucks are eight nine, by the way. Tom Brady got an 8-9 team, retired and divorced his wife, or his wife forced him to finish 8-9. And we have uh, the Giants at 6, and the Seahawks currently at the 7 spot. But the Packers, with the win tonight, make the playoffs. The Lions are officially eliminated from the playoffs, so it's either the Packers or the Lions make the playoffs right now. Or Packers or Seahawks, sorry. Packers or Seahawks make the playoffs. You guys will know what happened. I'm about to go downstairs with my friends and watch that game, because it's going to be freaking awesome. But, with the playoffs out of the way, championships out of the way, championships presided, and we'll do, like, playoff predictions once we get, like, the full breakdown. We'll do Friday. We'll do playoff predictions and stuff like that. But the thing that happened today, other than the Bills game, that made me the most excited was there was two games. The Texans-Colts and the Vikings-Bears. Two completely different reasons why, why I was excited about the Bills game today. So not only were the Bears playing Nathan Peterman, they were playing the Vikings, Texans-Colts, battle for the number one overall pick. If the Texans beat the Colts, Bears got the number one overall pick. If the Bears lost. But if the Bears lost, if the, Bear, if the Texans lost, Texans had the number one overall pick. If the Texans won and the Bears lost, Bears had the number one overall pick. If both won, the Texans got the number one overall pick. And the Bears did everything they could to tank this game. Like, they started Nathan Peterman. And you know how invested you are in tanking when you bench a really bad quarterback for completing passes? Like, Nathan Peterman is bad on his own. And you benched him because he wasn't playing bad enough. Just give it time. You benched him too early. Now, in the hindsight, it didn't matter because the Bears ended up losing the game by 16 points, 29-13. And um, Peterman didn't throw a pick. Yeah, Tim Boyle threw an interception today. Two interceptions, actually. Peterman actually threw a touchdown. But um, I was just excited to see Nathan Peterman play again. Nathan Peterman threw an interception against the Bills. It was nice to see him back in the NFL. How he still has a job, don't know. But he's still kicking in. He played today for the Vi- for the Bears. And got the number one overall pick. But that happened because the Texans and Colts played two teams that are tanking. The Colts have started an immoral tank right now. Like, they have rotated quarterbacks left, right, and center. They hired Jeff Saturday. They blew a 33-point lead against the Vikings. And now they're, like, they're tanking hard. Tanking hard. And the Texans were winning the game. They were winning the game 17-7. And the Colts come back, take the lead. And the Texans come back and score. And then go for two. And then just to put more shit in the fan, they score on the two-point conversion. Like, Bears fans, I've never seen... Bears fans should be praised and loved. There should be a statue next to George House and Walter Payton up in Chicago of Lovey Smith for going for two in that. And Lovey Smith, God love you, Lovey, but you cannot do that 
and then come out after the game and say that, do I expect to be back? Yeah, I expect to be back, absolutely. There ain't no way in hell he is coming back after that because the bounty the Bears will get for the number one overall pick is going to be exponential. It's going to be awesome. The number one overall pick hasn't been traded since 2016 when the Rams show moved up to J- from 15 to get Jared Goff. They gave up two first-rounders, two second-rounders, two third-rounders, and the 2016 and 2017 rights to get their future QB. Chicago's got their QB. Chicago's got their QB. Brett Coleman, so was Cam- that was Carmen Vitale tweeted the first thing. Cam- Brett Coleman tweeted out adding to this, feels like the top two QBs in this class are more highly regarded than Goff and Wentz were. Yes. I mean, you're dealing with Cal and North Coast State versus Alabama and Ohio State at this point. We'll get to C.J. Stroud in a little bit. The offer for the Bears pick starts at two first, two seconds, two thirds, and might have to go up from there. Never count out Jim Ursay for doing whatever is necessary. That's what makes this hilarious. Not only did the Texans screw themselves out to get a number one overall pick. I mean, not screw I know the players and coaches probably won't feel that way. But the front office will. Because we've talked about this before with Shanahan and uh, Lynch. Lynch's job is to prepare for the future as the GM. Coach's job is to play for the here and now. Which is why Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. Lynch wanted Lance. Because Lance long-term should be better and has more tools to be successful more than Mac Jones does. Though Mac Jones is better right now. Like We've seen Mac Jones play two seasons. He just completed his second season in the NFL. Trey Lance has played three games. And snapped his ankle in the second one. So, or his third one. So, when you're looking at the Texans, Levy Smith is trying to win games. He's a coach. He's got to win games. Front office GMs, they're wanting to tank. And what makes this funnier, with the Texans going for two and giving the Bears no more overall pick, the Colts, the team they just beat, is the most likely team to trade up to number two, or number one. And as we sit here right now, looking at the draft order, is this is this 100% accurate at this point in time? Well, yeah, the Cardinals lost. Broncos, Broncos won, right? Broncos beat the Chargers, right? Yeah, surprisingly, 31-28, Broncos beat the Chargers. So I don't know if that I might need to re-update this. Cause I don't I don't think that's right. I don't think the Seahawks still have the third overall pick. I could be wrong. Okay, yeah. So the Seahawks have the fifth pick. So you're looking at right now, the Colts have the fourth pick. They don't even need to move up that much to get to the Bears at number one. And the best part about this is for the Bears, they can get possibly the number one player on their draft board at number four. Let's just say hypothetically, the Colts are the team that trade up to number one. And draft either, at this point, I know I've talked about this a bunch with Levis being in that conversation, but with how Stroud played in that national cha- or the national semifinal game against Georgia, that dude's definitely put himself up there. I still think Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this draft class, but that Young or uh, that Levis and Stroud conversation, though a lot of people will be upset that I'm even saying that or suggesting that, will be insane. It'll actually be pretty fun to see how that all plays out. But Cole straight up to one, the Bears, you look at what who's in front of them. The Texans and Cardinals. The Texans are drafting a quarterback. So you're looking at the Colts and Texans at 1-2 and drafting quarterbacks. Cardinals, more than likely, are taking Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. Two positions in need for this. And there's another situation where they could trade back with the Panthers. Panthers are going to need a quarterback as well. And David Tepper apparently is infatuated with uh, Will Levis. So let's just say hypothetical scenario here. We have got... Young go one. I think. Well, I think Stroud fits the Colts better, but I Young. I think Young's better. So we'll go Young one to the Colts. Stroud two to the Texans. Panthers three get Will Levis and the Bears. This is one of the oldest sayings in the NFL draft. The draft starts at four. Draft starts at four. 
Because when you know teams are drafting quarterback, the draft starts with the first team that doesn't need a quarterback. And that's the Bears. So you get a bounty for going back to freaking four. Because, again, the number one pick of the draft, it doesn't matter how far you need to move up, the fact you need to move up at all to number one, that will give it in itself, will give you a ridiculous price. Absolutely ridiculous price. So, again, hypothetical situation. Strader Young go one. Strader Young go two. Levis goes three to the Panthers. The Bears get Willie Anderson or Jalen Carter or Pierce Gronsky or Broderick Jones or whoever the hell they freaking want. Miles Murphy, if they're feeling frisky or something, I don't know. The Bears are set up so freaking well. They're set up so well. As a Bears fan, I would be losing my shit. I would be begging the McCaskies to build a statue of Lovey Smith in Chicago. Or wherever the hell their new stadium's going to be. Don't care. Name it Lovey Smith Field. Don't care. Bring him in as a consultant. Give him something. He deserves something. He potentially has just set up the Bears who have a shitload of cap space and are about to have a shitload of draft picks. They shouldn't have a second round pick. Remember they traded that one to, to freaking Steelers for freaking Chase Claypool who did absolutely nothing in his time there. And they think he had 140 yards in his time in Chicago. Waste of a pick. So the Steelers had the first pick in the second round. But, man, draft picks, cap space, you're going to get a shitload of second-round picks too, which is also very important with the Colts being that bad. Because I'm using the Colts as the example. I'm not saying the Colts are going to be the team that does it. They're the most likely. Because when you see how bad they've been and how many quarterbacks, how many times they've rotated quarterbacks, they were going in for being terrible. And those coach, those situations in regards to switching quarterbacks was not a Jeff Saturday call. That was a Jim Irsay call. So... We're going to have Young Strider Levis go one. Young Strider Levis go two. I think we're talking about Young and Stroud, but I'm not going to rule out Levis because I do think trait-wise he will be mentioned up there. And then the Cardinals take Carter Anderson or trade back for a team that needs a quarterback, and the Bears take Carter Anderson. Dude, not to mention the other picks they're going to get for years to come, too, for number one pick. Goodness gracious, Chicago, you might have something here. You might actually have something. Which is actually, it's pretty funny. That is pretty funny that this is happening. But yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in Chicago. But Stroud, on that topic, Stroud played awesome. Stroud put forth one of the best semifinal performances or best bowl game performances I've seen in a really long time. Stroud played freaking awesome. He has this thing with bowl games, doesn't he? He has this thing with bowl games. Played really well against against Utah last year. Played really well against Georgia. Four touchdowns in this game. Four touchdowns. Had a, not, 11 incompletions, 348 yards passing. Not to mention he had 34 yards on the ground. And picked up some massive yards on the game as well. Picked up yards that was supposed to set up the game-winning field goal, which, which the announcers kept saying. Kept saying Ruggles is one of the most unfaced kickers in college football. Ruggles will not let the situation get bigger for him. And he proceeds to kick one of the worst field goals I've ever seen. And I understand it was 50 yards. I know it's not easy, but let's not hype him up like that and then see that kick follow. Like, as tired as I was at that point, I was I was laughing at that point. I do think it's funny to see Stetson Bennett, who is older than me, <laughs> jump around and celebrate like they just didn't beat a 19-year-old kid at quarterback. But, um, yeah, awesome game. Awesome game. Uh, the bowl games have been really fun. This has been one of the best bowl game slates ever. Especially these later games. Like, USC-Tulane was freaking awesome. Alabama-Kansas State, Bryce Young, five touchdowns in the game. Five. 
Like, Bryce Young was on a freaking tear in that game. 321 yards with just 15 completions. With that receiving core. Like, like Bryce Young, I think, is the number one overall pick. Or should. I say should. Because what I think and what I think what I think will happen and what I think should happen kind of can separate itself. Like, in my mock draft that we did back in December, early December, or midway through December, whatever, we had Levis going first overall because I think that could happen. But though I would take Young, but that's mock drafts are not for what I want or what I think. It's what well, it is what I think. It's what I think teams will do. Now, what I think should happen or stuff like that, I think what teams could do. But I think we're looking at a scenario again for the draft where we see the Colts, Texans, and Panthers picking the top three, with Stroud, Young, Stroud, Young, and Levis go one, two, three. I think that's a scenario that could happen. Don't rule out the Raiders either, but I think the Raiders would like to move for someone else. Like I think Brady could be a really realistic option for the Raiders with McDaniel being there. And may, hell, maybe Jarrett Stidham's their answer. I don't know. I think the Raiders, though, should probably just draft a lineman or something, defensive or offensive, don't care, and then get a quarterback in the second round and then bring in Brady or something. We'll see what we'll see what happens with them. But like USC Tulane, back to the bowl games was awesome. Penn State, Utah would have been more fun had Cam Rising not gotten hurt. LSU <laughs> what they did to Purdue was terrible. Uh, we had Mississippi State beat Illinois. They led for, I think, five seconds. And that was the last kick. And then they housed a, a lateral stuff <laughs> for a touchdown to win by nine points. Led for five seconds. Again, I could be wrong about that. I think they led for five seconds and then scored one by nine points, which is just really funny. Uh, what other bowl games? Really fun. TCU-Michigan, awesome game. Um, yeah, TCU-Michigan was just a fantastic game. Max Duggan was not at his best, I would say. It wasn't one of his best performances, but, hell, Quentin Johnston, I don't know how you can watch that game and see his touchdown that he had, a 76-yard touchdown, and not go, that's the best receiver in the draft. Given his sight, he caught that on a freaking screenplay, pretty much. Ran past everybody. Like, Quentin Johnston, like, size, skill-wise, he has to be the first receiver off the board. If Smith and Jigbo wasn't battling injuries, we could have a different conversation. But the fact it's hamstring, that's a little bit of a... I don't want to say red flag, but it's kind of a, let's think about that a little bit. But Johnston is freaking awesome. But Michigan, they didn't play a bad game at all. They didn't play bad. Donovan Edwards had a really good game. Uh, J.J. McCarthy had a pretty solid game, 343 yards passing. Did have two interceptions in the game. But, um, yeah, awesome game. Two, the best semifinals we've ever seen. Yeah. But college football's dead. Remember that. College football is, uh, is in fact, dead, as one would say. We had obviously had Iowa beating Kentucky 21 to nothing. One of the most boring games I've ever watched in my life, but Iowa won, so that was pretty cool. Oregon, North Carolina. Did we talk about that game on here? Yeah, we we definitely did. We definitely did. The only games I we didn't. So Tennessee, uh, Clemson was brutal. It's not fun. Uh, Joe Milton played really well in that game. Uh, Pitt, UCLA, surprising game. Surprising game, but a fun one, nonetheless. Pitt ended up winning the game 37-35. Notre Dame beat South Carolina 45-38. I haven't seen anything about Rattler going to the NFL, uh, but I would stay for one more year if I was Rattler. I would stay for one more year. Yeah, I would I would wait one more year. But the Notre Dame came back in that game. They were down 21-7 at the end of the first quarter, came back and won. Maryland beat NC State 16-12. What is my Capital One Bull Mania thing looking like right now? Not great. Not great. I mean, 19 for nine, 19 out of 19 is not a is not ideal. Utah got that one wrong. Well, most of these were joke picks because we, we did it with Brady. Some of these were joke picks, but Utah, again, Cam Rising being hurt probably would have changed things. USC losing to Tulane. I wanted to pick Tulane, but we didn't because I thought <laughs> USC is with the Heisman winner. 
Like, Caleb Williams has a great game, and USC still managed to lose the game. Uh, Mississippi State, B. Illinois had that. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, I picked them over TCU. Iowa, Kentucky, Bama, K-State, Tennessee, Clemson. Wyoming for Ohio, we picked that one because of Josh Allen. Didn't work out that way. South Carolina versus Notre Dame. South Carolina should have won that game. UCLA versus Pitt. Sucks. Um, Washington beat Texas. Uh, what other games do we have here that were very surprising? Uh, Syracuse not Syracuse didn't do anything till late in that game against Minnesota. They barely did anything in, for that moment. But yeah, 19 out of 19, 32%. Eh, it's not great. But you know what? We move. We had fun. And for the national championship game, it's I'm I'm surprised by this. Should I be surprised by this? Like Georgia being a 12 and a half point favorite? Should I be surprised about that? Like, I feel it's a little a tad bit disrespectful to TCU. I'm I'm rooting for TCU because I got Max Duggan. So if TCU and Max Duggan win a national championship, that means by default the 2016, 2015, 2016 Josh Dragons are national champions. Because we beat Max Duggan. So I think that's how that works out. And by that, by the transitive property. Iowa is an FCS national champion champion because South Dakota State just beat North Dakota State today. Getting their first national championship in school history. So we'll give a quick round of applause to South Dakota State. Yeah, so Iowa, congratulations as well for being an FCS national champion. That's a, that's pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. Can't say that on everybody. But is that pretty much all I have for you? But Sean McVay leaning towards leaving the Rams. Not really surprised by that. But yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> Lovey, I'm sorry. I don't think you're... I don't think you're staying. I don't think you're staying. I'm sorry. I could be wrong, but I don't. I don't think you're staying. And then we had, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a. As for the Bills, just as a whole, I think this Trey White said it best. This past week's been a shit show, and I understand why he said that. It's a, it's been a mess. But I'm happy that everything's turned out the way it has. Um, I'm happy to have learned more about Demar Hamlin. I thought I already knew a decent amount about Demar Hamlin. Turns out I did not. Uh, a lot better of a dude than I even thought he was. And the Bills have always prided themselves on drafting good people first. And at least under McDermott, well, I, I say that, and then we had the Matt Ariza situation. But that's uh, that's another that's an anomaly in the Bills situation. But they got rid of him after they got pressure on it. But that was that was beside the point. Yeah, it's a um, tough situation, but I'm glad things worked out. And I can't wait to see Demar Hamlin back on the field. Am I confident about the Bills going into the playoffs? I mean, I think the Bills are a good team. I think that if they play their best, they can beat anybody. I think at their best, the Bills are the best team in the NFL. And I don't even really think I'm being insane when I say that. The Bills scored 35 points playing bad in the past two games they played. Full games. Full games. Like the Bears game, they played bad. Today, they didn't play great offensively. They had moments like Josh Allen's throw to Diggs. Was beautiful. One of the best throws he's had all season. One of the prettiest throws. Gabe Davis drops every single pass that unless it's a sideline or one hand catch. Uh, Dorsey. We've talked about this before. The thing that scares me going into the playoffs about the Buffalo Bills is that they run the run and shoot offense 2.0. Dorsey does not know how to see a game out, and it's very stressful. It's why they lost the Vikings game. We talked about that after the Vikings game. They do not know how to see a game out for love nor money, and it's very stressful. And there's a lot of times where receivers are standing right next to each other. The play calling, the play design, the player selection is just odd. And I think – I don't even think this is insane. If they had Brian Dable, they'd be undefeated right now. If Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, they'd be undefeated. Look what he did with Daniel Jones. Like, they would be undefeated if Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator. And that's – I'm not even being – I'm not even joking about that. They've played – like had some very questionable plays on offense and have still dominated teams. And then you look at their three losses they had. 
all within, what, three points of each other? I think that's what they all were, except for the Dolphins game, which was two points. Lost by two to the Dolphins, lost by three to the Jets, lost by three to the Vikings. Yeah, it's uh, they'd be undefeated right now. No doubt in my mind be undefeated. And Josh Allen not wearing the brace. He didn't wear the brace last week on his throwing throwing arm. He didn't wear it today. Looked a little bit. I'm feeling more. As long as he's healthy, we're good. We're good. So with that being said, I think that's all I've got for you today. Um, I just needed to talk about the Demar Hale. I didn't want to record anything last week. I don't think I could have done anything if I was sitting here, uh, not knowing what the situation was or being terrified of what the situation was. I didn't know what else I could talk about. It, it was just a mess, and I'm just happy that we have come out on the better side of it. So, with that being said, uh, keep praying for Demar Hamlin that he keeps making this speedy recovery that he is. Can't wait to see him back on the football field again, and I cannot wait for the playoffs. I can't wait for the national championship game as well on Monday. So you guys will will know what happened in the Packers Lions game. But what, what's the score right now? Because we're kind of, I think we're at the start of the game right now. So the start of the game just started, and it is three nothing Packers. Just made a field goal, 11-21 left in the first. So you guys will know what happened. I will not. Well, I'm going down a little bit to watch it. But with that being said, I will see you guys later. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed your New Year's week. Start of the new year. Again, thankful Demar Hamlin is back and healthy, and hopefully that um, he continues to progress this way. Uh, continue praying for him, and we'll see you all later. Enjoy the show. Enjoy your day. Peace.